Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Bible study Wednesday, December the 11th in the year of our Lord 2019. Bible study Wednesday is an occasion for congregations maybe to meet together in the morning to listen to the Bible study and then after the program to talk about it. We're going to be looking at Psalm 22. Now, why are we looking at Psalm 22? We're in the season of Advent right now, and it is quite amazing how many psalms speak about the coming of Jesus. Many, many psalms are looking forward to his coming, and the word Advent means to come. So we're going to take a look at Psalm 22 to help you understand where Jesus is here. I do recall the best Bible study in the whole Bible would have been Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples who could not understand why he had been crucified. And now they hear he's risen from the dead. They're totally confused. And so Jesus takes them on a Bible study through the Old Testament because that's the only books written at that time. So we're taking a look at Psalm 22, and it first of all says, and these are the headings of the psalm. It's not in all Bibles, but it's, to the choir master, according to the dole of the dawn, a psalm of David. Now, what does it mean, the doe of the dawn? Many of the Psalms are quite poetic, and therefore it's not unusual that they were sung. Just as in our hymnals, we have different tunes for the different hymns, so most scholars believe that the doe of the dawn was the name of the tune that was sung to Psalm 22. First verse is real familiar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? If this doesn't remind you of the words of Jesus on the cross, I don't know what would. This first verse, when he talks about being forsaken, means he is alone. And we can understand that horrible situation because Jesus was sweating as of drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was looking towards this fact that there would be a um, crucifixion he wasn't really so much worried about the uh, suffering of the cross as he was about the fact that he would be forsaken by the Father. And that being forsaken by the Father is really the greatest suffering. Why was he forsaken? Because he was taking upon himself our sins. Verse 2, oh my God, I cry by day and you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. 
In other words, Jesus is referring to the Father that he's not responding to him right now. That, by the way, is a pretty good description of hell, that the people who go to hell are those who are forsaken in that they only have the wrath of God. It's not that God is not present in hell, but he's present in his wrath, not in his grace and mercy. Yet even when he says, why have you forsaken me? Verse three, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Therefore, Jesus knows that God is holy and above reproach. He is enthroned on the praises in the tabernacle. God was enthroned over the Ark of the Covenant, and on each side were cherubim. And it was the praises of Israel that gave evidence to his identity as being one who could be trusted. In fact, verse four, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. For example, when they were taken into Babylonian captivity, they were delivered after 70 years and brought back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. When they were in Egypt, For 400 years, they were delivered through the Red Sea and taken to the promised land. Why? Verse 5. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So what Jesus is saying here uh, through David is he still trusts in the Lord And the people cried when they were in great problems and they were rescued. Jesus knows that when he calls upon the Father, a rescue will take place. And what did he say to the Father on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, he begins to describe himself. And during this Advent season, we talk about Jesus coming in the stable, Jesus coming into our hearts through our faith in his crucifixion, and Jesus coming on the day of judgment. But on the cross, verse 6, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people the very people that he had come to save, he was being despised by. And that being despised really meant that they held him in contempt, both the Jewish leaders, many of them, and the Roman soldiers held him in contempt, scorned him. Verse seven, all who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. You know, that often happens even in our society. When you see somebody doing something wrong, 
you just shake your head from side. Oh my, what is he doing? What a worm. He's certainly not a man. That's what your Lord experienced for you. In fact, he even says how they mocked him. That's verse eight. They said, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. That was actually said at the cross. In fact, remember the one thief said, if you are the Messiah, save yourself and me. That was the evil thief, of course, who did not repent. He goes on, verse 9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb, you made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. I don't know if you realize, but Psalm 22 is talking about Christmas, that the Lord took him from the womb of Mary. And... Jesus trusted because of Mary. I'm sure Mary and Joseph brought him up properly. You know, they kept going to the temple at the appropriate times, etc. So, 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. So, Jesus still trusts in God the Father, even though he recognizes he's been forsaken. He is alone. There's no one to help him. Now, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, an angel was sent by God to help strengthen Jesus in the garden as he was about to begin the horrible situation before the soldiers, Pontius Pilate, King Herod, the whippings, the pulling out of the beard, and the crucifixion. So he says, verse 12, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. Now, who are those bulls? Well, he compares the people to bulls because have you ever seen a bullfight? The bull is ready to kill the person against them. Uh, the term Bashan was really east of the Sea of Chenereth, and it was famous for producing large bulls. So that's what Jesus is saying. These people are strong. They appear to have power over me. They whip me. They crucify me. He not only compares them to bulls. Look at verse 13. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. So not only are they compared to bulls, but also to lions. And that word lion is the same word that Daniel discovered when he was thrown into the lion's den. But of course, God has total power 
over bulls and lions, even when people act that way. Now, getting back to the cross, verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Now, what he's talking about there is he is totally exhausted. He can hardly hold himself up. Uh, remember, someone had to carry the cross for him. So that's really important for the suffering that Jesus endured. Journal of American Medical Association some years explained the pain a person had when on the cross. The cross wasn't really that high. It was only about five feet uh, from the ground, and the legs were bent, and nails went into the feet and into the wrists, and it was excruciating pain. And that's why Jesus says, my heart is like wax. Then verse 15, my strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. That's what he's saying. He's ready to be buried. Why does he talk about the dust of death? Well, that's how Adam was formed, from the dust of the ground. And we return to dust. So he's already compared his enemies to bulls, to lions. Now verse 16, for dogs encompass me. A couple, company of evildoers encircles me. Then we have a very important phrase. They have pierced my hands and feet. Now, when David wrote this, this was centuries before the crucifixion had even been invented. There was no death we are aware of at David's time where hands and feet were pierced as happened at the crucifixion. It shows again that a lot of times the prophets were writing, forecasting what was going to happen in the future, but they themselves may not have had a complete understanding of it. And it only became understandable when the New Testament encompassed it. And look at pierced hands and feet. That's the crucifixion. Going on, verse 17. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. So this is again referring to the people who are happy that Jesus is crucified. Because from their point of view, he committed blasphemy. He talked about he and the Father is one. He talked about that he had gotten his mission from the Father. And he had risen people from the dead. So they did not want him around. Verse 18 is a specific that happened during the crucifixion. They divide my garments among them, 
and for my clothing they cast lots. That's exactly what happened among the Roman soldiers. They divided his clothes, but his tunic was one piece. They did not want to tear that, so they cast lots for that. In other words, they gambled as to who would get it. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. This is the attitude of Jesus on the cross. Having recognized the Father forsook him, having been paid for the sins that you and I committed, he still calls to God and his helper to come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. And we remember that after near the end of the crucifixion, they wanted to bury him. So they broke the arms and legs of the two thieves, which means they could not bring themselves up to breathe, and they suffocated to death. But when they came to Jesus, he was pierced with a sword. And, and there it is, verse 20. Deliver my soul from the sword or the spear, my precious life from the power of the dog. Getting back to the three animals he talked about, the dog, the bull, and the lion. Verse 21, save me from the mouth of the lion, rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now, when did that occur on the cross? That was the words of Jesus when he said, it is finished. In other words, where the father had forsaken him at the beginning of the six hours, he now was again with him. And that's shown by Jesus calling to him a third time. Three times he talks to the father. First, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Second, father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And the third is, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So that's the rescue of Jesus. In fact, he even says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's when the spirit of the thief, who was now a believer, and the spirit of Jesus went to paradise. Verse 22, in the midst of your name to my brothers, I will tell of your name. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And that's of course what Jesus did after his resurrection. He again preached to the disciples. He preached to many people who saw him after the resurrection. And so now he speaks to us. Verse 20, 
4. You who fear the Lord, uh, verse 23. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. Now, where's that coming from? Well, it's very clear that after the division of Israel into the 10 tribes, which were called Israel of the north, and the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south, that Jesus came from the tribe and the offspring of Jacob. And therefore we stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, the new Israel now are the believers who also believe the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And therefore, this is a message to all of us, 24. For he, that's God the Father, has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. And that is a comfort to all of us that when we cry to the Lord, that is faith, and the Lord will listen. In verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. What he's saying there is the great congregation, of course, are all of Israel, and he is confident, therefore, in the Lord's deliverance of himself. He goes ahead and says, the afflicted, that, that's referring to all Christians who are afflicted, shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. So what we have here, we have Psalm 22 that starts off on apparently a negative note. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus' trust in the Father is such that he knows he will be delivered. And he not only is delivered on Good Friday, taken to heaven in the spirit, but he is also raised bodily from the dead on Easter Sunday, and that's why he has this good news. He then repeats verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. That's a reminder that it is not just Jews, but also Gentiles who will worship before the Lord. Why? For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. He goes on to say that all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. And he's speaking here, of course, of believers even the one who could not keep himself alive. 
and that was Jesus. Posterity shall serve him, verse 30. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. And that's why we got the great news of the disciples writing the Bible and telling of the good news of Jesus to the coming generation. And they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. No wonder the next psalm by David is the Lord is my shepherd. A wonderful example. So we pray that Psalm 22 has been an eye-opener for you, that through his suffering and his coming, Jesus trusted in God the Father. We too now trust in God the Father. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to be talking about a rumination subject. If you're all interested in a topic that you would like us to speak about, Wes Reimnitz and myself, give me an email. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in tomorrow, Rumination Thursday. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.